Hello everyone, I'm Jo. And I'm Melissa. And this is a podcast where we chat to people who practice Nichiren Buddhism within the SGI. We're not official spokespeople. These are just informal chats about what Buddhism is and why chanting Nam Renge Kyo works. Welcome to Buddhist Chats. This week, we're talking to Fatima, who is the East London area women's division leader. And um, it's so great to finally get together. We've been trying to make this happen for a while, haven't we? So it's lovely to see you. Well, thank you, ladies, for inviting me. Sometimes in previous podcasts, we've known our guests, but actually I know you from listening to you talk at meetings, but I don't know you personally. So I'm really interested to hear about your story and how you met the practice whereas conversely i fatima and i do know each other a bit because of um just some amazing support you've given me over the last year and i think the first time i met you was at a summer course i think you gave me some guidance does this ring any bells absolutely yes it it does but it's good to know you know to hear this from you that i gave you some support last year which um, i hope it did help in some ways. And uh, yes, to Joe, you you asked me to introduce myself and talk a bit about how I met this practice. Uh Well, um, my full name is Fatima Sisse, and I'm married. I live in East London, got two children, all grown out, so I'm empty-nested at the moment, which is great. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I was born in Sierra Leone, and that's where I grew up until the age of 29, when I moved to the UK to settle with my husband. I met the practice, interestingly, in Sierra Leone, and a very unusual way, actually. So I was born a Christian, well, I was born into a family that practices Islam and Christianity, because my grandparents were Muslims. But my um, grandparents allowed some of their children to decide whether they want to go to church or stay, you know, as Muslims. So my mom and one of her brothers decided to become Christians. So that's how I got into the Christian faith. (laughs) um, But we continue to um, observe Islam and Christianity in our home. And then it was a Sunday afternoon and my mom sells drinks so where we used to live opposite our house there's a garage where taxi drivers come to service their cars so there's this gentleman that came to buy drinks at home and everyone knew him so everyone was chatting away with him but i'd never met him that was the first time so and my whole family was there we were preparing food and um and then someone asked him, are you coming from church? And he said, no, I'm not a Christian. And someone else asked, are you coming from mosque, from the mosque? Because it was a Muslim holiday as well. And he said, no, I'm not Muslim. So I was like, so what are you? You know, what do you practice? What's your faith? And he said, I'm a Buddhist. And I go, tell me about it. Tell me about it. So he explained a few things and I was like, okay, can I come and see where you worship and how you do this thing? And he said, yes, I'll come and pick you up next Sunday when I go for my meeting and I'll take you. So I was like, yeah, please do come. Yeah. And I'm a total stranger. <laughs> so, oh my God. 
Wow. Yes. So um, he came the Sunday and we went and we went to this house. There were, I think there were about five or six young people chanting away. And I sat down, listened to the chant. And then after the chanting, they started discussing about karma and the eternity of life. So there was something they said about karma where they said we create our karma in the secular sense of what people know karma to be through our actions, you know, words and deeds. And that can be maybe in our past life or in the present life and whatever, you know, actions you take, there are consequences. So prior to this, I had an experience where I used to work for the examinations council in Sierra Leone. And um, somebody has falsely accused me that I sold exam papers to them. So as a result of that, I was um, incarcerated and locked up in, yeah, for like a month and a half. Oh my God. Yeah, until- That's crazy. Yeah. Finally, they, they proved that it wasn't me. And so that left a question mark in my mind. And I've always been questioning things around, you know, um, God, basically. And so that experience made me question a lot. And when they talked about karma, I was like, but I don't remember doing anything negative to anyone. Why should this happen to me? So um, for, they carried on talking and they read some passages and something just clicked. So I said, okay, I'll keep on trying this and see how it goes. So I came back home and I said to my mom, I want, I'm, I'm a Buddhist from today. And she was like, are you sure? You know, are you sure? Are you sure it's not demonic? And da, da, da. I'm like, no, if it's demonic, you know, I will be the first to run away. And that's like, that's how my journey with this practice started. That's amazing to make such a big, profound decision that quickly. Can you remember how you felt? What happened inside you that was so sure, that was so certain? For me, it was the confidence that, the, that I got from listening to very young people talking so profoundly about life and talking about things that our society don't want to talk about, like death. And also they said something about you are in control of your own life. So for me, that was so empowering. And I was ready to take on that control. So that was what sold it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what it was about him? That made you think, oh, do you know what? I trust this bloke and I'm going to go to this meeting that he's suggesting I go to. Well, I suppose um, at that period in Sierra Leone, growing up in Sierra Leone, it used to be a very safe country, a very safe place where you trust because community look after each other. So, you know, complete stranger can help the people on the the road. So there was nothing there to doubt him. So, yeah. Wow, that's my London cynicism. It's just like going yeah. somewhere with a bloke. So I was like, what? No, don't. Yeah. But, um, but that has changed because now I would not do that. Right. I would, I would not do that at all. So I was lucky. Well, good fortune. I met it at the right time. Mm. Yeah. So to continue from 
from from from that. So yeah, I started um, going to the meetings, and I told all my friends that I'm a Buddhist, and they were very confused, like what's going on with me, <laughs> you know, and and for me, I think that sense of empowerment that I took away from that meeting just made me so bold. Even in my converse, even at that time, I knew very little about Buddhism. Uh, there was, I, I hadn't studied much, but I just had this, this sense of confidence that when I even talked to people, I, the first thing they would ask me, so what does Buddhism say about God? So my response to that was, well, I am God. And that freaked them out. Like, <laughs> how can you say you're God? You know, because it's like blaspheming in, yeah. in, 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 that, in that society. So I'm like, but even God says I'm made out of his image. So if I'm in Christianity, if I'm made out of his image, so I am God. So for a long time, I was able to talk to people where they listen to what I had to say. Um, although most of them didn't treat me seriously, I must admit. But I kept right. my practice going and I told my dad. My dad was very cynical. He was like, hey, here we go again. Another one of your things. <laughs> so, so that's how he took it. But he, he never criticized my practice. So, um, and then um, the war broke out in Sierra Leone shortly after I started practicing. So the city was attacked. But prior to the city being attacked, um, one of our leaders was studying in UK. So he managed to get some Gohonzons to take back because there was a group from the neighboring country, Liberia, where the, the war started, um, that they've moved to Sierra Leone and settled in a particular area. So he got this Gohonzon for this group. So by the time he arrived, they'd gone back to Liberia. So there was this Gohonzon and there was me practicing. So that's how I got my Gohonzon. Oh that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got my Gohonzon. For me, I was so happy when I received my Gohonzon. Yeah. And, and at the time, I just rented a, a flat. So I could, you know, set up my gohon zone in my room. And my sisters and brothers were all very open to my practice. So members used to come and chant at home on Sundays. And my first actual proof that I got from the practice was me getting a scholarship to represent Sierra Leone in a literacy conference in America. So think of this girl who has grown up in this, you know, in Africa. I grew up in the city, but didn't have any desire, hope to travel the world at that point. And, you know, I was asked to submit some um, proposal as to why. And it was not just me. There were several other people who had worked for United Nations and all of that. And when the response came, they sent it straight to my home. So there was no way in the ministry they could have changed, you know, and given it to someone else. So they just had to support me to, to, 
get on this. So that was my first actual pool. I wasn't even chanting for anything when I started chanting. I was just chanting because I enjoyed it. That was all. I was just chanting and enjoying my practice. And then that was the first time I know, yeah, when you chant, things would happen to you. And, and yeah, that's how I got to travel out of Sierra Leone for the first time. And this was in the midst of um, the war quieting down for a short while. At that point, there were no embassies open in Sierra Leone. So I had to fly into Guinea to get um, the visa. And when I went for my visa, I was, again, another protection. I went there, there was people lined up, you know, lining up to go and get their visas. And I walked in and I handed them the envelope and they said, come back in three hours or so. Came back in three hours. Yeah, enjoy your time in the US. People were literally dying to get visas to go abroad. Yeah. And I just mm -hmm. got it like that. And but, at the time, did you did you see it as a, did you think this is a conspicuous benefit or were you sort of thinking in that way? Well, I was wasn't. Retrospectively, you uh, yes, and yes. That way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't at that point because mm. I just started my journey with the practice. Mm. So that's how I traveled out of my country for the first time. And then I visited some of the centers in America whilst I was there and met some really lovely people. But by that time, my husband was now in the UK. So he wanted me to join him. But then I had to go back to Sierra Leone, to, you know, filing my report after the, the conference. So I went back. I, I, I did go back. But um, whilst I was there, my husband invited me and sent an invitation letter. So I went to the embassy, the British embassy in New York, and they gave me my visa just like that. <laughs> so, so even when I was in America, my, you know, some of my relatives that I met there, everyone was like, why would you go back to that country? What are you going to do to, in Sierra Leone? I'm like, no, I've got to go back because I was sent here for a purpose. So I've got to go back and report. Otherwise, they will never, you know, give the opportunity to, you know, my country again. So I had that sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I didn't link it with my practice at all. So I got the visa, went back home, did what I had to do, and then joined my husband in, in, in the UK. And yeah, carried on with my practice. That's amazing. And how, how long ago was, was that? So I've been here for 24 years now. Yeah. So UK is my home now. I do go back to Sierra Leone almost every year or every other year. And I do stay in touch with the members there. And I do activities when I get home, when I'm home. Um, there's not a large, you know, huge group, but there is a group that is consistent. And most people who have practiced have been introduced and been told, you know, chant for whatever you want, you'll get it. And most people wanted to travel abroad. And they did get the, those benefits. So they travel abroad and some of them never continue with their practice. Others introduce other people back home. So that's how um, they, they've kept the practice going in several years. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and one of the challenges I've found is really um, sharing the practice, getting people to accept the practice for me 
and receive gohonzon. So that has been one of the challenges. But that doesn't stop me from telling people about the greatness of this practice and what it has meant to me and my family and the changes that I've seen in my, in, in my life. So to put that into context, I grew up in a relatively poor home where we lived in a one-bedroom house, about almost 10 people living in a one-bedroom house. And I remember as a young girl thinking to myself one day, I will build a house for my mom. One day I will build a house for my mom. And, and then when I started practicing, when I came to live in the UK, my mom was asked to leave the house where this is, a, this is the house, this one bedroom house where my mom was born, where we were born. So, and they had nowhere to go to. So that was another test of my faith. So I kept chanting and sent messages to friends in Sierra Leone to say, can you find me somewhere I can rent for my mom? And nothing was coming through. And then there was this um, colleague of mine that we worked together projects. I used to work for a non-governmental organization, a local one in Sierra Leone. Well, we did some work with UNICEF. So there's a colleague of mine that used to work in, at UNICEF. So I sent an email saying, do you know anywhere I can rent a house for my mom? And he sent an email saying, I don't at the moment. And a few weeks later, he sent me another email saying, look, I've got a friend in America who wants to sell his land in Sierra Leone. I don't know how you're going to buy this, beg, borrow, or steal. You must get this land. I'm like, oh my God, where do I start? And at that time, I just, you know, settling in in the UK. So I decided to um, take a loan and got the land. Um, and then it was a case of go do a shack there and just shove them in. <laughs> At least no one will tell them to leave. So, so yeah, and this was the, the idea now. And then the next thing I got another email saying, look, um, because he used to help people abroad to build their homes, they would send money to him. And he said, I've got, one, I've got someone who sent me money. It's not ready for me to do anything at the moment, but I don't want the money to just sit there. I trust you, I would use this money and do something. I said, okay, just do a two bedroom so that they can fit in. And he said, okay. And um, he said, you you just have to pay me X amount every month. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Fair enough. I'll do that. So I, I spoke to my husband, asked my sisters, we all came together and did that. And he sent me pictures later on about like six months later, my mom, now lived in a four-bedroom house <laughs> with enough land to grow things for herself. And um, we dug up a well because water is quite scarce in that area. We dug up a well, which now serves the community. So around that community, everybody comes there to fetch water. And yeah, whilst other people close their gates, or charge people for water, we just let them come in and get, you know, and fetch the water. So again, that's a huge benefit. Wow, that's incredible. 
yeah, it just shows what's possible when you really trust, you know, when you really trust the power of, of your practice. Yeah. Because somebody in my district actually, so in the practice we have, you know, you two will know this, but I'm just explaining that we like to make determinations for things that we want to transform or see happen. And there was somebody in my district who shared that she just wanted everybody in the district to fulfill their dreams beyond their wildest dreams. It was some, some kind of phrase like that. And when you were talking, that really reminded me of that, that not only did you get what you'd resolve to have happen for your mum, but more and more. Um, it's just amazing. You just, you seem to have such confidence. And I suppose that's my next question is, you know, have you ever, do you ever have wobbles? Because ever since I've known you, you seem to be absolutely 100% certain that this practice, you know, that, that belief in, in your Buddhahood and you're in everybody's innate Buddhahood, not just yours, is is the answer. But um, yeah, when when I was asking you if you wobbled, you nodded. So I'll let you speak. <laughs> of course, of course. You know we are human. Mm-hmm. We we you know we practice this Buddhism to polish our lives every day, and in the process of polishing our lives, we face these obstacles or challenges, and these obstacles, when you are facing them. They seem like some huge um, mountain that, you know, you cannot defeat. And I've had those wobbles from different points in my practice. And the most recent one was actually, actually happened a couple of weeks, last week or two weeks ago. So um, this was really doubting my capacity to do things. So I got this email from a friend in Northern Ireland who told me about a a master's program that's been um, advertised in one of the universities because he works in the university and it's on environment. And he was like, you must apply for this PGC certificate program. There's a grant for it. You You can get it. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it just to fob him off. And then after he sends the information, I looked at it. One part of me was saying, this is what you need to be doing. Another part of me, like the negative side, like, why do you want to be doing this? You're 53. You you just want to live your life. You just want to do what you want to do. This is not the time for you to start stressing over assignments and all of that. You know, all those negative. And, and, and as well, I think my... My first master's program that I did in Middlesex University in 2010, um, I think I didn't have a, an easy experience with that. So this brought up all those negative stuff and my inadequacies, like thinking like I'm incapable of doing this. So I was speaking to one of my uh, members and then this conversation just came up and I'm like, I don't think I should be doing this. And she listened and listened and she said, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, because she was like, I, I don't think it's the Fatima that I know. Yeah. That is so confident. And, and she's like, mate, just go <laughs> complete the form and apply for it. I, I'm not listening to any of this nonsense that you're talking about. So after that conversation, I came away and I went to the Gohonzo and really chanted like, why am I doubting 
this great power that I know I have in myself. So I made the determination that night that I will complete the application form. So I sat up till 1 a.m., completed the application form, submitted it. And then I, I was given a, a study lecture the following day. I did that and I gave this as an experience. Then <laughs> that evening, checked my email and I got an email from the university saying, how are you going to fund this course? So apparently there were two courses that are similar. One is funded, self-funded. The other one is, a, is, a, is you know, funded grant. So <laughs> I think I, I applied for the wrong one. So I was like, oh my days, now I've, you know, told everybody about this exciting thing that has happened to me. So I sat there trying to do another application, completed everything, but it would not let me submit. So after a while, I said, okay, let me go back, check this email, send an email to this lady to see. And then I realized that she's emailed me saying, please don't worry, I'll change it on my, you know, from my side. <laughs> so she submitted it for me. <laughs> so I'm just waiting now for whether I'll be accepted or not on the program, but I'm confident I'll be accepted. Yeah. So that was my wobble this, this past couple of weeks really tested my confidence in the power of Namio Rengekyo, but also in this power that I have, that nothing is impossible, that, you know, since they always, President Ikeda, always encourages us to do our best, like, you know, to make the impossible possible. So I think I forgot that in that moment, but yeah, I'm back on track. I find it quite difficult sometimes to know when to say yes and no to something because actually sometimes your reasons for saying no are really are really good ones. It's because you you know that if you take on this massive challenge that your your sleep's going to be affected, your relationships are going to be impacted, you're going to be knackered and um, potentially quite stressed, and um, and knowing whether or not you've got the kind of that you've got to sort of grow a pair in order to take on this enormous challenge and all the stuff that's going to come with it and is it worth it and I yeah I struggle with that quite often to know is it is it worth it should I say yes or actually would it just be easier and not potentially just cowardly would it be the wiser course of action to to say no to something because because you know that the you know the things that will come with it will kind of negate the positive effects of it do you know what I mean well I suppose everything starts with prayer so after having that chat with um, this member, I chanted. And from that um, prayer, I could, I, I, I was able to flip all the negative things that are, you know, the things that I thought would not allow me to do this course. So I realized that if I do this, I, I've done um, an M in sustainable development. So if I was to do something in environment, it's, quite something that is current and the environment is so important to everyone and even in buddhism it talks about you know the oneness of self and the environment looking after the environment so i thought i could contribute more to society from this and also my my dream is to go back to sierra leone and run a small cafes um, <laughs> um library and you know, a farm, a small farm. So this this um, Emmy could give me 
the tools that I need to be able to do that. So, and it's an opportunity as well, because I'm not going to be paying for it. So, you know, how many people do have that opportunity? So I might as well go for it, do it. And yeah. Yeah. It's um, a couple of things came up while you were saying that, that again, this was some guidance that somebody else in the organization shared that, you know, whenever you feel that you can't grow anymore, it just means you need a bigger pot. You need to sort of repot yourself. Like your roots, roots can keep growing yeah. indefinitely. And that, yeah, you need to sort of picture yourself. That's how you feel now. And that's how you could feel in a year's time or 10 years time. And you need to picture yourself there with all of your doubts behind you and just sort of visualize the outcome or visualize, not even necessarily the outcome as a physical thing, but just that feeling of, of absolute unshakable confidence of just like, of course I can do this. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, you're right. You just have to chant more. But having said that, I just remembered I had a clear memory of the guidance you actually gave me. So um, on this summer course, which is that's the summer course is just it's normally a couple of days when we all go away and stay somewhere and do lots of chanting and study and sharing experiences. And I was really struggling with juggling the demands of early motherhood and work and early days of practice and I think I asked you you know how on earth I could possibly ever get this practice going properly when I could barely chant every day because I had a baby at the time he was maybe one or something and your guidance was actually extremely gentle and you just said please don't worry you know please don't be too hard on yourself and even if you only managed to chant for 10 minutes at the most just you know really give that 10 minutes your all and don't doubt yourself you know don't beat yourself up for not doing an hour or you know not doing whatever you think it is you should be doing so yeah it is it's a constant balance isn't it between sort of pushing yourself but also realizing you know what your capacity is at that moment yeah it's interesting you talk about that guidance because I got a similar guidance from another member who when I came to live in the UK really looked after me and I remember when I had my son, I was not able to do as much activity as I used to do. So I was pretty much not happy with myself. So one day we went, we're coming from a meeting. So I, I expressed this to her and she said, please don't, don't worry. Don't do that to yourself. When you had, you know, the capacity, you had the time, you gave your hundred percent. Now, you have to focus on what you have to focus on. As long as you keep your practice consistent, make sure you chant in the morning, chant in the evening. You don't have to do copious hours of Daimoku. You'll be fine. And where you can do an activity, give it 100%. So I really took that guidance to her. And that really helped me. It helped me in the sense that I was able to introduce my husband to the practice and he then began to practice and that allows me to be able to go to meetings although he's always supported my practice even when he wasn't practicing and my children were able to understand when i needed time for for buddhism i make sure I, you know sometimes i had to work twice as hard because i had to make sure there's food in the house repair everything before i leave and go to a meeting but all that's really did pay off because it's helped me to 
grow as a human being, but also the benefits I could see in my children, in my relationship. And yeah, so because this part is about win-win. So you have to win in all areas of your life because the practice is not separate. Work is separate. Home life is separate. The, you know, my Buddhist members are separate. No, it's all one, one unit. So you do what you can in each of those units. And when you can, you give 100% where you need to give 100%. So, so thank you for reminding me. <laughs> well, thank you for the guidance. It's, it stayed with me, yeah. And I'm curious about how long were you with your husband being a Buddhist and him not being a Buddhist before he came, became a Buddhist? Okay, so um, probably about seven years. Wow. Yeah, and the good thing was when I first met my husband, that's another story for another day. Um, no, today. Okay, so, so this is beautiful. Yeah, I started practicing was not thinking about getting married or whatever, just in this mindset, like men are all very difficult being. So <laughs> I can't be bothered basically. And then through a friend we met and as they say, the rest is history. But one of the things I said to him the very first day we met, I said to him, whatever you do, I don't care what you do, but don't ever stop me from practicing this Buddhism. So from the get go, that was, that was a red line. You can't cross that. And then I think through my behavior, through my actions, through the way I was, and he could see my dedication to my practice, he, he kept that promise and has never crossed the line. So um, eventually we had my son and an interesting thing happened because at that time when we had my son, he was going to church with his sister. So it was time for the naming ceremony because when we have children, uh, seven days after the child is born, we do a naming ceremony. So he was like, so how are we going to do this ceremony? So I'm like, I, because he wanted his pastor to come and support. So I said, okay, that's fine. So I told my leader um, from Sierra Leone because he was here, I said he can come and support as well. So yeah, we had a ceremony where the pastor came and did his thing, his prayers, and then my leader came and chanted, and my aunts did the traditional thing. So my, my son had a rounded <laughs> introduction into the world, you know, so which, which I think was great. And I think if I had resisted at that time and said, you know, oh, I want him, you know, I want it to be a Buddhist or just a traditional, then it would, you know, that would not have um, left a good, you know, um, taste in his mouth or that would have affected our relationship basically. So, yeah, and I never forced him. I just let him be. And eventually he decided he was going to test the Gohonzo on his own. So he was doing his PLAB exams because he's a psychiatrist, because he studied in Russia, but needed to pass his exams here. And they're very tough exams to pass. So he decided to chant to see whether he would pass his exam. So he chanted, he passed the first one. And then the second one came along, he chanted and he failed. So that was my opportunity to now chant very strongly that this doesn't affect him in a negative way. 
So, um, yeah, I chanted really strongly. And he continued practicing. And he took the exams again and passed. So now he, he's passed all his exams and he's doing his job, enjoying whatever he's doing. So, again, that's another benefit from the practice. And he's one of my strongest shakabuku. And he just supports me so well in this practice because when I feel down, he picks me up. <laughs> when, I, you know, when he's wobbly, I pick him up as well. So I'm very, very fortunate. I'm very, very fortunate, mm -hmm. you know, to have, to have a husband that practice. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not luck, is it? I mean, it's, you know, no. yeah. You... I, well, well, I created that good fortune. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. That's amazing. That's very encouraging. Um, good to hear. Uh, yeah, just, I mean, I know we have to, we have to wrap yeah, up in a minute, yeah. don't we? Yeah, we do. But just, I'm just always blown away by how, um, by how joyful and positive you are, Fatima. It's such a, it's just so inspiring listening to you. You're such a brilliant ambassador for this practice. So yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. I should be thanking you for, you know, giving me this opportunity to share my experience and my journey with this practice. And yeah, it's it's an ongoing journey and I'm just so grateful to have a mentor in Daisaku Ikeda who through his writings, I can encourage myself, I can encourage others. And always says in his, you know, to Rose, please don't worry, it will be okay. So that's that's something that sticks with me and that's what I'll leave with you. Please don't worry, just chant, it will all be okay. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Kerry Sheldrick for helping us get started. Tash Wilcox for the artwork. Barkley Bandon and Grim Grim for the music and of course Fatima Sese for taking the time to talk to us.